Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. We're glad you're here. I'm Kevin McDonald, your host for this grand adventure, and I thank you for joining us. You see, our mission is to create a positive, personal connection to all things with courage and love. We invite terrific guests, interesting topics, and great conversation, all in a fun, entertaining way. And we always manage to learn something, too. So I hope you will stay right where you are for this episode of Positive Talk Radio. And welcome, everybody. Good morning. It is Monday morning, and uh, I hope everybody had a terrific wonderful weekend and uh i hope everybody's well today in the listening area we've got a tremendous show for you today so before i bring her on i want you to go and call your mother your brother your sister anybody that you know that can benefit from information about scams and how you can get taken uh because today's guest is uh i mean Good heaven. She's been on Dr. Oz. She's been on uh, Channel 5, CBS This Morning, Tamron Hall. Uh, she even was on um, um, Nancy Grace and and stuff because of what she does and and the experience that she's had. And I'm, for one, I'm very grateful that she is here. By the way, this is a commercial-free episode of My Independence Report as well as Positive Talk Radio and Think Energy. Benny, good morning. How are you? Hi there, Kevin. Hey, I got, well. I got a question for you. Okay, got an answer. Hopefully, uh, perfect. <laughs> Being a big time media dude oh, like you. Oh, are. oh wow! Starting off really red hot there, are you? Okay, yeah. Go ahead, uh, continue. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that you have a million dollars or more in the bank. Of course, uh, not. Okay, yeah. but thank you. <laughs> well, being a big time media star, I figure that you'd have all kinds of money in the bank. Uh, no. But I, I want to tell you, a million dollars, if you break it down, a million dollars is a lot of money. I don't care how you slice it. It's just a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And, uh, uh, you know, you look at it and you say, well, it's just a million dollars. But then you break it down and then do it like, uh, uh, how, how long will that pay for your rent? How long will that right? pay for your mortgage? <laughs> Me, personally? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Uh, let's see here. I'm actually not too bad with my mortgage on my house, so that wouldn't take up too much there. Um, I do have twin boys, and they have college in about eight years, so I'd probably set some aside for that, which we know college already is through the roof, and then probably in another eight years, it's going to be even higher. That'd probably take a bit, you know, take a big uh, chunk of it. Um, indeed, indeed. You know, indeed. Yeah, with so, yeah. What, did you ever thought about maybe um, scamming somebody into a relationship and then uh, um, and then and then taking them for a million dollars? How dare you ask me that, Kevin? <laughs> I know it certainly isn't something that would be in your wheelhouse. Being not at the, all <laughs> the fine, upstanding young man that you are. But our I guest this morning, yes, and her name is Debbie Montgomery Johnson, and um, I have to tell you, it is a remarkable story that she's. Dedicated now to telling everybody. We offer this commercial free so that you can um, not get de uh, derailed by any commercial time or any of that kind of Deeped thing. So, or duped. Or duped. Or either one. I, correct. Okay. Correct. All right. so, so our guest today is Debbie Montgomery Johnson, and uh, let me give you a little bit of a background for her. She is a former military Inter, um, intelligence officer. She's been a bank manager. She owns her own company. 
She's president of her company, which I can't pronounce, so I'll have her pronounce that in just a second. Um, and uh, and she's a fine young lady who is now on a mission. And by the way, you can go pick up her book, which is called The Woman Behind the Smile. And I hope that you'll do that because this is going to be a fabulous interview. Debbie, how are you today? I'm just terrific. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you are so welcome. The first thing I'd like to do is to thank you for your intestinal fortitude and your ability to come out and to talk about the subject matter that we're going to talk about today, which is you were scammed out. I can't even say the number. So how much money did were you scammed out of? $1,080,762. $1,080,000 you were scammed out of over a two-year period, I believe. Two years, two years. And uh, and I got to tell you guys, I did not have that in the bank. I was listening to your little dialogue there. I did not have it in the bank. Most of us don't have that in the bank, but you can find it and I'm sure we'll talk about it. But I found it because I wanted to. It is remarkable and i know that's why you know you've been on a bit of a media tour uh because it's important that people get the word out about what this is so tell us what exactly happened in your case it was in 2010 that my husband of almost 26 years uh, i got a call from my son and this, the call said mom dad just died i'm coming home to take care of everything and that threw me into a totally different life, basically. And I had to run his company. I was working my own job. I have four children. I had one that was home. He's 15. The rest were off. And um, I was just, it, it pulled the rug out from underneath me. You know, my regular little life was going along great. And then all of a sudden, the breadwinner, although I was working, uh, Lou was bringing in the money for the family and, and taking care of us nicely. Um, that was gone suddenly. And I didn't know how to run this company. So I had to figure that out to keep the roof over my head. And I did that. But the way I did it was just keeping really, really busy. I didn't have time to grieve. I was just, I was learning the company. I was trying to deal with emotions. I was trying to be the fix it for everybody else. And about six months into it, my friend said, you need to get a life. You need something other than work, work, work. And I hadn't, you know, I was 52. I hadn't dated in a long time. And so they said, try online dating. It would be safe. And I figured, well, I can kind of stalk online and I can do that. And so that's how I started it. I went to a faith-based site thinking that, you know, might be meet someone that it has similar thoughts spiritually, you know, financially. Um, and I also felt like it was safe because I wasn't in person. I didn't have to see anybody in person yet. I wasn't ready for that after being married for so long, but I was looking for a friendship and a companion that I could talk about Lou dying with. And uh, so that's how it started. And it was very safe at the beginning. So this was an actual faith-based, you would think being a faith-based faith dating site that it would have great people um uh spiritual people people that were committed to their faith and 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 to the i don't know maybe um 
something along the lines like the Ten Commandments would be would be helpful. In, the, in, the, in the, you would you would think that now it wasn't a site put on by any any church. It's just it's like any dating site now. They're based on age or based on you know religion or whatever. Uh, you would you would have thought, and that and I did think that because I'd gone to the big ones, the eHarmonies and the Match and all those, and that that's crapshoot as far as I'm concerned. But I have learned that it doesn't matter. You don't have to be of that faith or whatever to be on the website. And what I've learned too is that it, I'm reeling ahead, looking back now, it's 2020, that a lot of the uh, faith-based sites are ripe for scammers because they want really good people. And there are good people on those and trusting people and kind people, big hearted. You know, many of us tithe or give money away uh, to, to charities and what better group of people for a scammer to get into. Now, before we get too far down the road, I wanna, I wanna uh, touch bases with everybody just real quick um, because you, said goodbye to your husband in the morning and he died. Um, the same thing happened to my mom, basically. Um, she uh, played bridge on Thursday. She went to dinner on Friday. Uh, we talked on like Wednesday, we do every week and she was dead on Saturday. So my point here is it's a very difficult time for people when that happens because it's so sudden. But the the, the underlying theme here would be don't let anybody get out the door without saying that you love them because you don't know if that's going to be your last time that you get to see them and, uh, and you don't know. So you just make sure that you take care of everybody every day uh, to be part of your life. That, that is part of your life that you love. And I'm so sorry for your loss. That, that had to be just the most horrific thing, you know, the horrific thing possible for you. It was unbelievable. And in, in addition to saying goodbye and, and giving them a hug, make sure that you don't have any unresolved feelings. Uh, this I hadn't talked to you about this, but two weeks prior to Lou dying, and he didn't, he, he had diabetes, but he wasn't sick, sick. He was under control. Uh, my daughter had called him and she was about 19 at the time. And she called and talked to him, not to me. And she usually called and talked to mom, which left that out. And he comes to me, he goes, you know, did, did she come and talk to you? I said, no. He said, she called up to apologize for always calling just to you. And I was like, really? And he goes, we had a really good talk. And I, I was able to get that out. And, I was, and when he died, I was so grateful that she'd made that call to her dad. Because if not, then she would have always thought that she wasn't enough for him. And, and it was, it was so touching, but so interesting that it had happened. And, and now I think I'm ultra um, conservative about that, making sure that my, you know, my kids don't have any problems because I have, my boys are military pilots and I'm like, I don't want anything to happen to any of them and ha and then have issues between their siblings. I want them to be kind and, you know, your brothers and sisters and you've got the, when I'm gone, you guys are it. And uh, so it's so important to, for me now too, with my parents and my brothers to make sure that you, you tell them that you love them and you talk about things and don't have any unresolved hurts. It's just not worth it. Like you said, we could be gone in an hour. It, it, it's frightening how that, how that can just happen. And, uh, and so because of that, I know that there were um, 
feelings of grief, feelings of loss, feelings of I got to run the company. And I know you 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 took that time, that first six months, to really delve into work, to get all the things that you had to get done done with you, your husband's company that you didn't know all that much about. Um, and then to, to be now you were, you know, like in charge of, of the company and, and so forth. So you had there's a learning period. And so you didn't really have time to to get in and grieve. But then after a period of time, then then you were able to. Right. The only time I had to that I felt I was grieving was between midnight and four in the morning. It'd be when I finished work and before I had to get up to get ready to go to my day job. And I'd be laying there in bed by myself and I would start to cry because, you know, king size bed, the other side of the bed doesn't, nothing moves. And I was mad at Lou. I was mad that he died. I was mad that I didn't have uh, some sort of continuity plan for the company. I couldn't find passwords. Uh, I mean, there were times, I was just, it was the only time for me to let my emotions out. Uh, other than when I was swimming and I could swim and cry and no one was no, no one knew that I was crying, but I, I recall doing very controlling. It was my way of trying to get my physical shape back is I would swim every day and I do so many laps of one stroke, so many laps of another. But when I was doing the backstroke, I'd be looking up at the ceiling of this indoor pool and there was a, a conduit, you know, electrical conduit down the middle of the ceiling. And I would stay focused on that. And I'd be talking to Lou. I'm like, what are the passwords to, to this site or how do I figure this out? Who do I talk to? And I was trying to rely on, you know, some sort of connection between the two of us to, to get the information and bless his heart, you know, it, it happened. And I'm very spiritual person that I knew that he was trying to communicate at some point with me. And uh, thank goodness he had a lot of passwords that were very similar. But the one thing I did learn is don't count on being able to figure those things out. You know, if you have a business, you better have that continuity plan and those passwords written down because I'm, I'm not in a really good position now. Either if something happens to me and my husband or somebody else has to come in now, I don't know that they can run it because I haven't put into place what I got mad at Lou for not doing. <laughs> well, yeah. and yeah, and if, if, even if it's your personal finances, uh, whatever whatever it is, when you pass, uh, the things that you, um, well, I'll give you an example. Um, my my mother had some some money in some places we had no idea, so we were about to throw this this uh, uh, box out, and uh, I opened it up just to say, gee, what's in here? And and on the top of it was a uh, CD, uh, and so it looked like a CD case. And so that's all we thought and says, well, what kind of CDs? So I reached into it and pulled out $18,000 worth of savings bonds because it was just, it was, you know, because you just don't know. And she wasn't around to tell us what had happened to it or where it was. So it's, you just don't ever know. So make sure that you have somebody that is with you and around you that knows all your passwords, knows where all the bones are buried and all that sort of thing so that so that your family can continue and they can be easier because that's a very stressful time after somebody passes away. Well, most people don't want to talk about it. I've gotten very bold with my parents and said, look, I need to know Let you know, if you've got jewelry or something, let me see it so that when the day comes, I'm not struggling trying to figure out where things are so that when my brothers come in, I can say, well, this is yours, this is yours. You know, you have to have those difficult conversations before. And once you've had them, they're over with. Sit down, write up a plan. You know, I have a book called Answers. It's an answer book. My kids have to go to my book and all my stuff is there. My parents the same way. You know, 
once you've had that discussion, like I said, you don't feel like you're one foot in the grave. It's over, you've talked about it, and then just kind of revisit every six or eight months. Because especially our older parents, they don't wanna talk. They don't want people to know where stuff is. But that puts the onus on us when we're ultimately gonna to have to take care. You've just been through this, I'm sure. Who has the books? Who has the financials? Who's got the death certificate? And who's on the accounts that can go in and take care of the stuff? It's really, really important. So that was my other bandwagon. I, Lou and I had things set up pretty well, uh, but I ha I've gone overboard in making sure my stuff is, is cleaned up. And I, it, I, I wanna make it easy for my kids when I'm gone, even though they don't wanna hear that. Um, but it's really important because trying to do it by myself at that point was just overwhelming. And I think that's when I was reaching out to my online friend, he, his wife had died. And so I felt that he could understand what I was going through more than the divorce guys, you know, cause he had no baggage and he just, he let me talk. And if anything, it was a million dollar therapy because for two years, we bounced ideas about the company and about families and all that. And, and that's where I got sucked in because I'm a very family oriented person. And he became my family. He was my lifeline, which for him was on purpose because he wanted to separate me from friends and family. But I told him everything at that point. And uh, that oh, he, he had become my life after Lou died. And by the way, we are, we are talking with Debbie Montgomery Johnson. Um, she lost a million dollars to a scammer, and that's who we're talking about now. And as a matter of fact, matter of fact you enlightened me because we had a little conversation beforehand uh, the other day, and you enlightened me because there could be a whole team of people that are that are there, and they're each taking it. Tell us about that. How does how does that work? Well, it is not a he. I, I did not have one scammer, although back in 2010 to 2012, it's a little different. Today, uh, if you think about sales teams, you have the salesman who calls up to the, does the cold call, gets you to start talking. They'll kind of groom you. We call it grooming. They'll do the initial. And in the ro romance, they'll, there are guys that are really good at the initial contact. This is interesting, though. They'll stop calling or they won't call you by your name. Because if you think about it, they're working a lot of people. So if they start calling me Joanna and I'm Debbie, they're going to get caught. So it becomes sweetie, honey, my love. Soon it turns into my wife, my friend, whatever. Um, that person will groom you. Then they move on to the people that can hold that relationship and then kind of build trust. And then, then something happens and there's a medical issue or a family issue. And that's when the, the call to action or the money call comes in. They're going to test you. They're going to see, can, will she give a little bit of money? For me, it was the very first thing that I did was, uh, was send a check into the dating site to get one of the friends, one of his friends onto the dating site, engineer, you know, they said, send the check in. So I did thinking, well, heck more guys on more than more the merrier, right? <laughs> well, I didn't realize that that actually gave credibility to that scammer because now he's got a paid membership. I, I've learned a lot. Yes, uh, yes. And the next group might, you know, they just bring in, there are guys that have different, um, uh, what's the word? They're just good at, at different things. One is the grooming, one is the, the financials, one is the, the closer, you know, they'll keep, they'll keep coming up with things and they'll drag it on. And then, and then when you run out of money, 
and you say, you know, either get here, this has got to stop. Uh, they bring in the heavy hitters. And then there are some guys that can get, you know, if you cut them off, they'll get really angry and then they'll start threatening you. So I never had that. Um, mine ended before, before any of that. And, and I think I've, I feel internally that it was more one guy, although I always wondered how in the world could he remember the things we'd talked about? I kept a journal. I have 4,000 pages of journal. I copied every online message and things that we had. I copied it into my journal thinking I was going to have family history. But those guys, I'm like, how do they do that? And I'm, they keep records too. And they pass them on. Copious and notes. Copious they notes. And they sell your name. You know, you're on a, on a list. They'll sell it to another group. Um, it's very well organized, very well financed. Now, did the, did the gentleman's voice change at all, or was it the same guy that you were talking to all the time? I, when I say talking, it wasn't talking. Back then, it was Yahoo Chat. They moved me off the website very quickly to Yahoo Chat, which is instant messaging. Today, it's more texting. It is phone calls, but it doesn't matter what their voice sounds like. My guy actually had a British accent, which led right into the situation. You know, he was from England. Well, I didn't know that the Nigerians had British accents too. Um, I didn't talk to him a lot on the phone. It was very, he was in, in the Far East. And so our communications were, were very abbreviated. It was mostly uh, uh, emails or chat. Uh, so when I did talk to him, it, he did sound British. But with artificial intelligence and voice changing, it doesn't matter what they sound like. They can sound like your next door neighbor. And they do. They and they're, they're really good at, at uh, getting into your heartstrings and, and attacking you that way. Now, at what point did he, what, what was the initial um, catastrophe that happened in his life where he needed you to send him money? Uh, there wasn't a catastrophe at first. We were, he, he had a lot of money that was coming to him after his job was done. And this is, a, he was a businessman working in, uh, in Malaysia. He was in the United States and then he got a job that took him to the Far East. I have a company and I know sometimes you don't get paid until the end. So he was setting things up. He was working with his attorney. I, I got to know his attorney, his sister talked about, you know, interesting group of characters. Uh, we were setting up a power of attorney so that there were some banking things I was going to be able to do when the money came here to the States because he was coming here. And so it was setting up a power of attorney, which having a legal background, I knew power of attorneys weren't terribly difficult from my end, but I didn't know the international scope. So I was thinking, I, I never doubted him. I had no reason. No one ever told me to be careful, to beware. And so when I was dealing with his, his attorney, I thought I was really dealing with his attorney and they needed some help because he didn't have access to his finances because they hadn't come yet. Uh, so it, was, it wasn't a catastrophe. It was more like, we've got to do this. We have to set this up. And this is the initial, we didn't have a fight. I'm not a fighter, but the initial discussion we had over money was sending $2,500 via Western Union to a certain person. And I, as a banker, I always had this kind of ugh, weird feeling about Western Union. I never didn't have had it, hadn't ever done it. I didn't know where to do it. So he actually walked me through it. I had to do it at the local grocery store. And I, I got a little upset with him. Like, I don't want to have to do this, but 
if we were to do it, then we could get things set up and you'd be coming home in the next couple of weeks and blah, blah, blah. So it went on from there. Um, so how long was he, because you got into, in, into a relationship with him, and how long was he stringing you along that he was going to come here, but then obviously he never did. Um, how long did that take? Well, it was multiple things, because I met him in November, December, the job in Malaysia was supposed to be over. And he was going to come here for the holidays. I was going to bring his sister and his son in from England and I had hotel reservations all set up. And that was the first disappointment is when something something happened overseas. And honestly, it, it just kept going that way that they were supposed to finish up. And, and I know that there are issues with with customs and transporting large. He was he was a hardwood tree contractor. So he was moving trees from Malaysia over to India. Well, you've got shipping issues and tariff issues and all sorts of problems. So they were not always personal for him, although there were accidents and things. Looking back, I was like, oh my gosh, if they had no luck, they'd have, if they had, <laughs> what is it? No luck, they'd have no luck at all. Yeah. Uh, if they had bad luck. If they didn't have any bad luck, they'd have no luck at all. Um, yeah, looking back, it's a story that seems unbelievable. But when you're in the middle of it, it, it your heart hurts because you want, that person to get to you so much that let's just finish this off. And someone asked me about the money. And like I said, I didn't have a million dollars in the bank, but because at that point over time, he had become a family member to me, I was going to do whatever I could to get him home. And I, I sold investments. I, I took, you know, loans against my retirement accounts, which ultimately I, I ended up losing my retirement accounts because it was always, Deb, please help me and I'll pay you back. You know, I'll pay you back with interest and this is going to be over soon. And at some point I must have thought to myself, well, this can't keep going on. But I was so invested that I knew if I walked away that I was going to lose a lot of money. So I just kept thinking this one more time. It's called chasing the money. It's kind of like gambling, right? You keep thinking the next time, the next time it's, it's going to happen and it's going to happen. And then when it didn't happen, uh, it was, well, mine was a little bit different because he didn't walk away. He didn't just ghost me, which a lot of them do. They'll get you so involved. They'll get their money out of you and then they'll just go disappear. And that didn't happen with me. And I was really grateful because of the way, the way Lou died when he left home on a Wednesday, I never saw him again. I only heard that he died. Um, and so if that had happened with my, my guy, if he had just stopped communicating because of all the issues that had happened, I would have thought he had died. I would have, I didn't, and I wouldn't, it would have been awful for me to have no closure that way. And, uh, so if, if I can be grateful for anything, I'm grateful that he actually confessed. <laughs> and so eventually he, you know, when you were into it for, I don't know, 700, 800, $900,000 at that point, you were, you, you had to continue. I wasn't, and I wasn't paying attention to the, to the money. Uh, I didn't think I needed to, you know, I had in impeccable records, meticulous records, and the FBI and the banks will tell you that. Uh, I kept such good records and such thorough journaling, um, but I wasn't keeping up the tab until it fell apart. And then when, when I had to go into the FBI and tell them what I'd lost, I'm thinking, holy moly, that's a, that's a lot. I knew there was a lot of ins and outs, you know, because I, I it's just extraordinary. Like I said, though, I didn't have it, but I found it. 
and I wish I could find it back in my bank accounts because <laughs> I, I, I say that my last suit has no pockets and I can't take any of that money with me, but I do have grandkids and children and I, and I wish it was in the bank, but the whole experience now looking back has been priceless for me. And it started with the confession. And if I can just kind of tell people about this. So he came on one morning and asked about forgiveness and we'd had spiritual discussions over the years. And so I started to tell him, I put my spiritual hat on. So for hours we talked and then we got disconnected, which was not unusual because he was overseas. At least I thought comes back on, he revisits it. And I'm thinking, why are we talking about forgiveness? Have I done anything? Which always cracks me up thinking I did something. And he said, Deb, I have something to tell you. It's going to hurt you. And I just want to know that you can forgive me before I tell you, I have a confession. And I'm thinking, oh dear, I had a confession once in my lifetime and I didn't like it. And I said, are you sure? You you know, you don't have to tell me. He goes, no, I need to tell you this. He goes, I have to confess this has all been a scam. And I'm sitting here on my computer and I've got dual screens and I'm looking at my handsome Brit and thinking something's wrong. This is a lie. You have to prove to me that what you're telling me now is the truth. And so on Yahoo chat, which I didn't know about, I'd asked about for years. He said, there's a little camera and I'm going to come on live and talk to you live. So he walked me through it and I'm sitting here again, looking at my handsome Brit and in the corner of my computer pops up this little camera, little screen. And now I'm looking at a dark haired, dark eyed, dark skinned young man with a big smile on his face. And in an instant, this is my gift from God in an instant, my heart was separated from my head and the story. And now I'm looking at this young man thinking, how can I catch him? Because I knew at that point it was a scam. And I actually picked up my phone and I took a picture of him. I do have a picture of him in my book. It's really the only picture that I have of the real guy. And it was just extraordinary to me. He's sitting there with a big smile and he goes, can we keep this going? I'm like, are you out of your mind? And he said, is it because I'm young and black? And I'm thinking, well, maybe, but no, not really. I said, you've lied to me for two years. You took a million dollars from me. He said, I'll try to get some of it back to you. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> but now, I'm, now my intelligence hat kicks in. You know, I, I've seen a lot of FBI shows. I'm thinking, keep him engaged because you can take him to the FBI. You can report him. You can, you can stop him. And that is not really true unless he's here in the United States now. Uh, but I, he did keep in touch. And, and honestly, I think there was a part of him because I knew I could forgive him because I wasn't going to get the money back. I had to forgive myself. And that was the hardest part because I felt like I had really been duped. And I was, had such good training. I worked with people in the bank who'd gotten scam checks and I I knew if I had seen Nigeria or Africa or anywhere, any conversation we'd had, it would have been a stop deal, but I never did. He was an English businessman and we just had so much in common and there's the rest of the story. Well, you know, the, and the moral of that story is 
and I told you before, uh, you are a highly intelligent woman. You're running a, your own company. Uh, you're doing a lot of stuff. If it can happen to you, it can happen to anyone. And that's that's the 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 that's what I want everybody to get through this story is that if it can happen to you, it can happen to anyone. And you need to be very careful. And uh, um, it's. And I'm sure your your kids and your family and all all those they rallied around you, I'm sure, and uh, and everybody and everybody was fine with it. And um, what did the when you went to the FBI? What did they say? Were they well? What did they say? Well, I, I brought in all my records. I was very composed. I was with my mother and dad. Because here's the kicker, and this is the worst part for me, is that I had asked my mom and dad to help me out to the tune of a hundred thousand dollars. And they did. And when I realized that I wasn't going to get that back, and they were in their 80s at the time, I was like, or, yeah, 80s, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So when we went in and I brought my records in and I sat down with the FBI and I told them, they're like, Deb, we're really sorry. But because he's not here in the United States, there's nothing we can do. And I'm thinking, holy moly. And then they said, and besides that, more men in Palm Beach County get taken for over a million than women, but they'll never talk about it. And that's when I, that's when I, you know, I call my book, The Woman Behind the Smile. That's when that mask went up. And I was like, I can never talk about this. I am so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed of what I did. I'm vulnerable. Um, if, if, if anybody finds out about this, oh my, you know, what's going to happen? And so I hid, I really, it was my mom and dad. I didn't tell my kids, I didn't tell anybody for quite a long time because I kept running my company. I had a roof over my head. I wasn't completely destitute, but it was, it was so embarrassing. And when friends asked, hey, what happened to Eric? I was like, no, nah, it just didn't work out. And they're like, it's two years. How could it not work out? I said, just didn't work out. So I brushed it under the table and, uh, and I didn't talk about it for quite a while. I understand that. And, and what, what motivated you to write the book, which, by the way, the name of the book is The Woman Behind the Smile. You can pick it up at Amazon. It's a bestseller. It's, it's, and she has been on numerous uh, interviews. So this is something that, that she knows quite a little bit about. But what was it? When was it that you said to yourself, damn it, I'm going to make an issue of this and I'm going to try and help other people? And it didn't come across that way. I was sitting at lunch at a business of speaking meeting. I was actually gone down to, to speak a little bit more about my company. And one of the girls at lunch said, hey, online dating. And I don't even know how we how that conversation came up. But when she said it, she said, I rolled my eyes at her. And she said, what's that story? I told my girls at the table about the story. And they're like, Deb, you have to tell. And of course, I'm like, oh, no, I'm not telling anybody. You guys heard it. You have to tell because my mom was taken for 80,000. Another girl came up. She goes, you have to tell because I was taken in a Ponzi scheme, not once, but twice. And these are business entrepreneurs, women that own their own companies. Another said, I was in a relationship for a year with a guy. We were going to get married. And I found out he had another family somewhere. Oh, you, have to, you have to tell your story. And at that, I realized that, you know what? This was be, this is bigger than me. And I had to realize that. I was not going to get the money back, but what I could do by speaking up was perhaps keep someone from getting involved or helping someone that got involved that is now broken, broken, giving them a little bit of hope. 
And that's when one of my friends actually was executive producer for Larry King. He said, Deb, you have to write your book before we can make this into a movie. I said, okay. I took my 4,000 pages of journal and, and the story of my book, this book, The Woman Behind the Smile, it's called Triumph Over the Ultimate Online Dating Betrayal. It's more of a, a it's my story. And my story has become a lot of people's stories because they read it and they're like, oh, wow, that's me. That happened to me. And they see there's so many similarities in the story, the basic story, they just change the character names or the occupations or something. So when I wrote the book, I got it out. That helped me to release the emotions of it. And now it became something that happened to me, but it wasn't going to define me. And I was going to move forward from that. And that's when I started speaking up. And that's February 14th is coming up. I was featured in an issue in October of the Palm Beach Post about the story. And then that picked up uh, CBS This Morning, CBS Local. Uh, all the shows were getting hot for Valentine's Day scams. Right. So it's a big issue with sweetheart scams, as they call them, or online romances. Um, and at the time, it was really important. And that's why I started speaking up. And I think we were talking about the, one of the first times I spoke up, I was watching a woman in the front row, and she just gave me the stink eye. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, boy, that was really stupid of you, Deb. But then I looked at the woman beside her who was just bobbing her head, and I'm thinking, okay, focus on the one that's bobbing her head that is resonating this story is resonating because maybe it's happening to her maybe it's happening to someone she knows and many times we don't know that it's happening because victims don't talk they don't want and, and the scammers are telling you don't tell anybody don't tell anybody that you're sending me money uh when my kids said said mom don't 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 i'm thinking i'm the adult here leave me alone and i shut them out Oh boy. I didn't want to hear what my kids had to say. My brothers even, you know, very first time when I told them I started online dating, do background checks. I'm like, you guys, we're just dating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and background checks would, would not be a bad idea, but when you're online when, in a situation like that, they can tell you anything and you can't do a background check because you don't even know whether what they're saying in any event is even true. Well, or right now I would, I would basically tell you that most of the online things are scams. And if, you know, the pictures are stolen, this is the other side of the story, which I talked about the pictures of the gentlemen and the women uh, that are being used by scammers are stolen pictures. We call it impersonation identities. It's identity theft. And, you know, if you can, if you get contacted by someone, and you want to do a reverse picture search, you can do that. That might pop up. That's worked with women I've worked with. Um, but do a Google search. If you Google search my name, Debbie Montgomery Johnson, boom, it's all over the place. Yes, it is. You do a Google search on Eric Cole with his picture, nothing's going to come up. And the only people that I know have nothing coming up for their profiles some of my family members who work for the ABC companies, like I call them, the DIAs, the FBIs, the CIAs, Homeland Security, those guys are not going to be online. Military people are not going to be online. Gripes me the biggest. You know, I'm a former Air Force officer. I have kids active duty. The scammers that use military pictures for their profiles just greets me. That is stolen valor. And the stories are, you know, I'm in Iraq and I can't get home and I need money for such and such, or I'm a doctor with the UN. 
those stories are all made up. Oil rig guys, they're made up. I mean, there are certain occupations that are just hot flashes for me that these are scammer stories and don't believe them, but they write well, you know, they engage well. And that's where you, if you don't stop, I used to say, if you haven't seen the whites of their eyes in, in two weeks, then it's a scammer, but I know women that have been scammed in person now, but if you can't get him to come see you within two weeks and he's asking for money, forget it. It's definitely a scam. Absolutely. By the way, this does not just happen to women. No. Men also get, and, and I, you know, there have been times when I will get a friend request on Facebook and uh, it will be a young lady who I do not know have never have never met and so i will rather than accept her friend's request i will do two things i will go on her site to see whether or not it's legitimate and she's filled out everything and and stuff and also who her friends are if her friends are a bunch of old men like me then i disregard her and completely and just delete it and uh because you know what happens is as an older guy getting attention from a 30 something woman in a bathing suit and can be can be really uh hot 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 moment because you're thinking i'm not that old and stuff and then you when you say because I, I said this to one of them i said come on i'm i'm over 16 she said well you know you're as young as you feel and it's like, oh, come on, that's that, that's a bunch of biggest horse pucky that, the, that there is because, you know, and, and I don't know if they get a chance to look at your bank account or, you know, I'm in media, so they, they can find me that way and stuff. But, but if there's a bunch of old, old dudes on the, uh, that are friends, disregard it because you ain't, when you're over 60 and a 30-year-old, no. If you, if you don't have a lot of money, they're not interested. So stay away from that kind of stuff. Disregard it, period. There's no yeah. reason to accept a Facebook request from somebody you don't know. And where we talked about is that the scammers are very adept at getting into groups, into women's groups, and now they've become a mutual friend. Be very careful. I get Facebook requests from people that have mutual friends of mine, and it might be one mutual friend or two mutual friends. And then I'll go and I'll look at my friends and I'm thinking, I write to them, said, do you know this person? Because if not, you have a scammer on your, on your friends list. So that brings up protect your privacy, you know? Don't let the world see your friends list. When, when, when I go to, to someone's profile, if their friends are all over the place, that's a problem because you need to clamp down your social media. You don't need to have 20,000 friends because you're not going to hear from more than 20 of them. We, we, you know, and I'm willing to bet if you've got 20,000 friends, there's a scammer in there somewhere. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, what they do now, what they can do to you is they can go to your friends list and they can go pick another friend of yours and you think it's got validity because you friended that person. So the other person is saying, well, they, she did it, so they must know each other, which yeah. is not the case. So you got it. It's, it is so sad. Don't you think that we have to be so careful about about other people's motives and who they are and stuff. It's, it's too bad, but that's just the way it is. It's life. And right now with everybody online, I, I just don't believe any pictures. I don't believe anybody's story until I've really vetted them. Uh, I have friends who I work for an organization. I'm on the board of directors of an organization called SCARS, which is the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams. 
We're an international nonprofit that works with victims all over the world. Women that I work with now, they've been taken not on online dating sites. They're not even looking for relationships. They're married. They're on words with friends. They're on game sites. They're on translation sites. I think I told you that I had a woman in Vietnam who was contacted by a man from England that was coming to Vietnam to work with a bank. And he needed to know some banking phrases in Vietnamese. So she started training him. And then they developed a friendship and then something happened. He was in Vietnam, he needed some help. So she sent him some money. One thing leads to another. And it turns out she lost a lot of money. So it, there, it's not just romance scams. So people are thinking, oh, this isn't gonna happen to me. It is going to happen to you, your mother, your sister, your brother, somebody, because it's going to be off of an email that you get. It's going to be off of, you know, the phishing emails. Uh, it could be an investment scam. Now, I think we were talking the other day. It's uh, the, the big thing now is not necessarily the romance part of it, but they become your friend and then they suggest a financial, a financial transaction or an investment. They want to help you make some money. Who doesn't want them to make more money? So you give them $100 and then it goes up to two. So they send you $100 back. I mean, there's some give and take. Then they'll get you to say, then they'll say, hey, I'm investing a lot more into this. How about you? So you invest 50,000, 100,000, whatever. You'll get statements that look real. All these things look real and all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. And money's gone. In other words, there is no such thing as a free lunch. And there's no such thing as uh, as easy money. They that you it's it's getting making money is hard work, and you can't. There's just no other way around it. And uh, it's not a matter of uh, of some sort of uh, thing that nobody else is. You know, I got a thing that nobody else knows about, and it's going to be really really big. And all I need is all I need is fifteen thousand dollars tomorrow. You know, I, I you know there are I've heard of people that have been stopped at uh, uh, like department stores because they're getting gift cards and they're getting a large number of gift cards because the person wants to be paid in gift cards of some manner or form. And I've had, I've, I've heard of, of clerks that have said, no, are you sure you want to do this? Why are you doing this? And have you heard of that? Up, oh, well, she's she's. Uh, by the way, we're talking with Debbie Debbie Montgomery Johnson. She's written the book, "The Woman Behind the Smile." She is on a mission to take out. Oh, good. She's on a mission to make sure that you understand that there's a scam a minute, and that you are liable to get scammed if you're not very careful. Hey, Debbie, we've only got a couple of minutes, but I wanted to ask you one real quick question just so we could uh, wrap up. And that is the guy who, who uh, um, came on and, and, and was apologizing to you, did he, how could he actually be smiling? I, did, didn't he have, like, horrible remorse, or was he, did, did he figure I got my million bucks and now I can be honest? No, I think... Uh... He didn't get the million dollars. If you think about it, it's the, it's a wide web of deceit. And he might have added out of that million, he might have gotten 10,000. So he really, uh, he says that he developed feelings for me, which may be true. I mean, after two years, you've got to have some sort of feelings for the person you've been dealing with. Uh, but it, it might have been part of the scam, too. I think he just wanted to be my friend. And he kept in touch with me or I kept in touch with him trying to get him. 
until he realized that I had met, well, I've, I've remarried and that's the really good news, but I, I met my, the fellow that I started dating, my husband, uh, a couple months later. And when he, when Eric, the fellow found out that I was starting to see somebody in person, he's like, okay, now it's time for me to back off. And you may not hear from me for a while. And I didn't. And honestly, when we have victims that are engaged with the scammer still, they can't be part of our organization until they stop completely because the scammers, once you've been a scam victim once, the likelihood is that you're going to be taken two or three or four times more. And it's, it's a real shame. And that's a whole nother story for us, a whole nother show, because the follow on scams are just extraordinary and they're, they're awful. Um, but my guy, I think he, you know, he, he thought I was his, at that point, I could have been old enough to be his mother. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, now, Debbie, will you come back again? I, I really want to explore this issue more. Um, will you come back again and, and, and so that we can uh, reframe it and talk more? Absolutely. I would love to be another guest. I so appreciate what you guys are doing and helping me spread the word. Because, like I said, it could be your mother, your sister, your best friend that gets taken. And until people are aware, like I say, beware and be aware, until we get the word out in a bigger, better way, people are going to get hurt. And and we don't want that. So, yes, I will come back. Absolutely. By the way, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, I hope you'll take care of each other and be kind to one another because each other is all we got. We'll see you Wednesday at 4. Have a great day, everybody. 